Peacemaker has taught us that there is never a wrong time to rock and roll. Hello, welcome to episode 59 of Nerd Explosion. I'm your host, John Wintrub, and with me, just like last time, is Sam Gilligan. How are you doing today, Sam? Doing fantastic. Glad to be here. Yeah, and of course, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's just jump right into it. I believe the first thing that we have set is the Batman tickets just went on sale the day that we are recording this, February 10th. Um, I know that we are both particularly excited for this movie since it is being directed by Matt Reeves, who previously did Planet of the Apes, and starring the legend himself, Robert Pattinson, as the Battinson. Edward! About the Batman Sam, I know that you're pretty excited. I am pretty excited for a number of reasons. I have been a lifelong Batman fan. I actually, um, the other day I was going through pictures and I found in the middle of the Spider-Man hype of about 2002 to 2004, that's when I first became a Batman fan to be a contradicted, like a contrarian. And it's paid off so well. This looks amazing. I remember I still have in my drawer right here, actually, uh, Batman Year One, the comic. So seeing a sort of movie based on the premise, very excited. I love uh, origin stories that aren't the origin story. This is to say, like, we know he's we know his parents got shot. We're probably going to see that. Sure. Like, it's Batman's story. But that's where the the pearls fall in slow motion. Oh, my Lord. And they the question. (laughs) That's the question. Uh, I feel like that's an iconic part. They got to have it. They got to have it. Yeah. I mean, every director's done it, right? Um, we had an 89 we had it in batman begins we had it in batman versus superman i mean it's iconic it batman the animated series batman beyond batman brave and the bold it's in, it's in everything that's i'm it, pretty did sure they, that's did like they actually canon. show his parents die in batman the brave and the bold i actually don't it's alluded it there's the epi- the episode when he confronts joe chill he's like going through sort of like flashbacks as to what happens and you see him like like close his eyes and grimace and you see the pearls fall into the puddle in slow motion and they bounce ding ding it's ridiculous yeah because i'm one of those wild people that actually likes batman the brave and the bold as an adaptation of batman I more than love batman, batman the brave that bold. show is awesome i mean the way that it's able to bring out like i mean yeah we get all these serious things on batman and i'm excited for matt Reeves version it's gonna be more of that you know but there is something about cheesy 60s style Batman that just does it for me. This Gilded Age caped crusader look is it it fits him so well. Yeah. Batman the Brave and the Bold was amazing, but Batman the Batman with Matt Reeves and uh Edward, I shan't even call him by his name. He's Edward Cullen to me <laughs> forever and always. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm it looks so, so good. Uh, I and... think the the penguin still looks a little silly. But yeah, not but like so it's silly. hard not to make the penguin look silly. No, exactly. There's no way. There's no way he's not silly. He's the penguin. It's it's hard not to make any Batman character not look silly. There is like, because even with things like you know the Batman, like you mentioned, had a lot more serious, maybe less weird takes on characters for the most part. Yet they still couldn't make the Riddler look normal. No, no. <laughs> and let's talk about let's talk about Riddler in this movie. Why is he wearing that? What's up? Yeah, with that? what do you think about the the Zodiac Killer esque imagery that they're using for Riddler for the promotional material? I don't know if it fits the Riddler. I'm going to have to see the movie. I mean, obviously, I'm going to see the movie, but I just don't know 
what angle he's going for. I always now this isn't to say that it's completely out of character for the Riddler. I think like anyone who's played the Arkham games knows he will just tie people to bombs or like wacky nonsense like that and be like, oh, Batman, if you can't find this silly thing, then this bomb will explode and this man will die. And it never does. But he he has the capability to do violence, I suppose. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do with this Riddler. I really have no idea. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we've seen so little of him in promotional material. I mean, we just recently got a full look at his costume. And yeah, I, I still don't know how I fully feel about it. This is one of those things where I just need to see it in action. Yeah, because exactly. It's, it's the same way I felt about like how um, Zack Snyder's Justice League was early, um, last year, where I just needed to see what would be done to see if I actually would like it. I ended up going into that movie and enjoying most of what I got. I still have like, a couple of the normal gripes, but I enjoyed that a lot more. And I'm going into this movie the same way. And we know that Matt Reeves is an amazing director because he did the Dawn and War when it came to the, the new Planet of the Apes trilogy. And Robert Pattinson has been an absolutely amazing actor the last couple of years between The yes. Lighthouse and Good Time um, and, of course, Tenet. He's just shown that he can be so much more than um, just Edward Cullen. And don't get me wrong, there is definitely a part of me that has a soft spot for certain things in Twilight, even though, uh, as a whole, I'm not a huge fan. There's other sexy vampire stories I like more than Twilight. Oh, for sure. But none of them have the cheese that Twilight has. It's it's a comedy series is what it really is. Yeah. And yes, the unintentional comedy series. <laughs> Actually, or maybe it is intentional. Who knows? I'd have to ask the writer of Twilight. The I, think, I think Rob <laughs> made it intentional. intentionally funny. I think he must have. But <laughs> so this is so this is. Um, this comes out March 21st, right? Yeah. Um, let me look. Let me look just to make sure. Well, I believe that's right. March 4th. March I was wrong. 4th. Yeah, much, March so- 4th. much sooner. That's in like, God, like. That's, yeah, that's the first Friday of March. Like that's a wild. month. Yeah. Yeah. And we have gone bits and pieces of Michael Giacchino's score on the internet. I have not listened to it, but I'm sure that it's probably going to be good. Michael Giacchino. If you oh, give yeah. him time to actually write the music then it will be good (laughs) i'm interested to see what the new wave of batman mania will be because after every batman movie uh or like new movie that comes out new franchise that begins there's a wave of sort of batman mania that that'll sweep the nation i remember people it's gonna be people thirsting over batcat this time around i can tell oh for sure like the chemistry already between our main two leads for this film is just oh so good zoe kravitz is just she looks really good she's yeah (laughs) i I don't need to say anymore (laughs) i've said before i'm not a fan of her of her sort of like cat beanie thing but it's it's like a first costume you know but it works no it's still around for like two years it works um, and you know, they're already teasing that we're going to get more of these. I mean, Robert Pattinson has already stated that he's, I believe he's signed on to do a trilogy of these movies from what he said in interview. Oh, wow. So we're going to get more. Um, and I mean, it would be wild to not get more of any of these characters. 
There's a. I'm pretty sure that everyone's probably going to survive this movie, or at least when it comes to the like the main cast. Oh yeah, it would be weird not to get more of Penguin, Riddler, and Catwoman, and I believe we're also going to get some minor um villains because I believe I've heard that Mad Hatter and Firefly are going to appear in extremely Ooh. small roles. That is that. That's actually really interesting. Firefly happens to be one of my more favorite Batman villains because he's really simple. He doesn't have a sort of gimmick like other villains. He's he's just a he's just a pyromaniac who can fly. Very awesome. Yeah, yeah he's just a tech nut that just he's wants just to, crazy. Yeah, just wants to improve his own technology to be better at robbing banks. <laughs> so, do we know if if yet this Batman movie has any other any other? Um, how do I say this? Connections with prior DC films? Uh, uh, probably not. Probably not. That's what I'm going with. I, we won't really know for certain until we see it, because that's how I felt about Shazam too, where we didn't really know how much oh, Shazam yeah. was going to connect to the larger DC universe until we actually saw the movie. Um, so I think it's going to be more of its own thing. Um, I'm hoping. Because, don't get me wrong, I like shared universes, but DC has never been the best at it. No. And no. I feel like the less attached to the larger, like, connected universe these um, movies and shows have been, the better they've been. I'm hoping it goes for a more um, sort of its own, like, offhanded established canon. I like in... in um properties when big names or places or things are just mentioned like offhandedly like somebody in the movie could say oh it could be worse you know you could have to deal with those freaks over in metropolis and i would just and i would just melt i would be i would be overjoyed i think that i mean if they're going to mention any city i feel like bloodhaven would be the oh that would be awesome considering that that's the one that nightwing roams around in in the comics also one of my personal favorite locations Yes. Uh, I hot take. I like Bloodhaven more than Gotham. <laughs> One of my personal favorite characters. I love Nightwing. Yeah, Nightwing's awesome. And if you aren't reading the Tom Taylor run right now, you should. It is phenomenal. But no, uh, any final thoughts about Batman before we uh, move on? We have a couple more pieces of stuff to talk about. I'm excited, but still apprehensive. If there is one thing that I've come, let's see. Let's see what's next. Uh, I'm just apprehensive of projects coming up. Uh, I have, I have, um, recently had a few minor letdowns with projects I've been excited for. So I've started yeah. to take things with grain of salt. Uh, that is all I, I can, will say. That is a feeling I can share. And I'm sure that we'll talk about that. I'm later. sure we will speak of it. <laughs> um, but speaking of upcoming projects, we got the first look at the Obi-Wan Kenobi show with its first poster, which went up the day that the finale for the Book of Boba Fett aired. What do you think of this, Sam? It looks, I mean, it's more Tatooine. It's more of Obi-Wan just wandering in the desert. It's Anakin's two most hated things. I think it's an expert uh, method of distraction tactic from Disney. <laughs> if yeah. you ask me. But, yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> but it's I like don't you... disagree with you on that. Uh, and this is not the first time they've done something like this. Oh, no. And I don't think it'll be the last time. But yeah, the show is, of course, coming to Disney Plus on May 25th, which is, I think, a little sooner than I thought it would be. I thought it would be coming in, like, maybe mid-June, like, early July at the latest, but much earlier than I thought. 
Oh yeah. May is May is not even that far away. That's only three months away. No, and we are also getting Bad Batch season two around the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of Star Wars that we're getting this summer. What surprises me is that the Kenobi announcement has come so quick and so soon, but there's like nothing like Oh, I just lost my train of thought. We know like almost nothing. But there's about no, yeah, we know yeah. nothing. There, there we go. There's no promo we, materials. We know there's that, no teasers. Yeah, we know that we're getting Hayden Christensen back as both Anakin and Darth Vader. That's been confirmed in interviews and cast listings. Uh, it's rumored that Joel Edgerton will be returning as Owen Lars. Ooh. Um, Kamel Nanjiani is going to be in it in some undisclosed role. And Ooh. we know that the show is being handled by Deborah Chow. Um, who was the director of episodes three and seven of the Mandalorian's first season. Ooh, those were pretty good. So pretty, pretty solid list of people that we got working on this thing. I'm, I'm again, I'm excited. Like Ewan McGregor is one of the best parts of the star Wars prequels. So I'm, I'll at least watch it just to see what they do with them. But I mean, after how I feel about the Mandalorian and Boba Fett and what they're currently not, it's not really what they're doing as much as it's what they're not doing. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And with the right after the rise of Skywalker, I very much have moved away from star Wars being my main fandom. I mean, you can see on Twitter that I talk about ReZero and Jojo's Bizarre Adventure like every other week. So I've clearly found other places to put my passion into that isn't what? Star Wars. When's um this is totally this is totally not related to Star Wars. When's part part two of part six of JoJo supposed to drop on Netflix? Episode 13 airs at the beginning of April in Japan. That's all we know. There we go. Yeah. But man. Yeah, that's we don't have Netflix has been very cryptic about the release for more Stone Ocean. Um they have not answered any of our questions, which makes me very worried. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do know that the initial um, upload onto Netflix was a little rushed because over the last few weeks, they've been doing small tweaks to the episodes, like um, editing Emporio's emblem or logo on his baseball uniform to right. for the Dolphin Green State Prison rather than just an empty logo. Um, I noticed that uh, the first time when I watched Stone Ocean, when it first dropped, he didn't have anything on his uniform. No, he didn't. And then I was re-watching it a few days ago uh, with a friend, and I was like, oh, he's got Green Dolphin on his uniform. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's all we know. Until Netflix gives us, like, an official confirmation about when we're getting more Stone Ocean or David Productions um, comes out about it or we see something official on the JoJo's Twitter Instagram pages, that's, that's all we got is Lord. that we know that episode 13 will air in Japan in April. Uh, whether <laughs> Netflix decides to do another chunk release, um, if they do do that, there's a part of me that, I mean, like, as much as I want more Stone Ocean sooner, I feel like it would be less taxing on the animation team of David Productions if they would just wait and do another chunk release after those episodes aired in Japan. If they do that, we won't get more episodes until, like, June. Um, if they decide to do it weekly, which is what they did with Comey Can't Communicate and Blue Period, then... Um, we'll see episode 13 up on Netflix when it airs in Japan. But I, we don't have any idea what they're doing. And Articles. I honestly don't, I think Netflix doesn't know what they're doing. I, don't think I think Netflix that this does. is like an experiment for them to see uh, whether 
the chunk release versus weekly release will be better for their platform since they've only ever really done chunk releases for anime before this. Much to uh, the pirating site's happiness. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> they get, I, I mean, not to throw shade, but I, Beastars got a lot of traction on 9Anime because of how long Netflix waited to put it on their platform. This is true. This so is true. It is what it is. But back to Obi-Wan for a moment. Like you said, it's just more Tatooine. I'm not really that excited for it. Yeah, look, I my thing with initially Book of Boba was that you got to give me a reason to for this story to be set on Tatooine. Like, are we going to flesh out this place? Are we going yeah. to make the setting feel real? And I'll talk more about this when we talk about Book of Boba Fett. But I felt like I got lied to with that show, where they yes. told me, no, we're going to do interesting stuff with the peoples of Tatooine, with the Tusken Raiders. We're going to actually care about the culture, and we're going to develop this world. We're going to introduce the mods, which are meant to represent the young of Tatooine, and then we are going to do we jack crap with any of this stuff and just throw it in the back burner. And Let's I, just move to Book of Boba. We've yeah, got a lot a to say about has this. more hope with Kenobi because, again, it is a different writing team. It's not John Favreau handling this one. So maybe the ideas they introduce will actually get fleshed out. But Book of Boba made me feel like initially I was tired of Tatooine, and then they made me feel like we were there for a reason. And then they took that reason away and crapped all over it. So I don't know how to feel about another story set on Tatooine. I'm kind of tired of seeing desert planets. In I'm Star really Wars. tired of Tatooine. It's like all we get. Like we have Jakku. We had um, the new like lava s um, Navarro from Navarro, Mandalorian. Yeah. Like we've just gotten so many similar locations in Star Wars, and I just want something new, man. I just want to see something new. It was such a breath of fresh it's, air. It's why I'm more excited. It's why I'm actually excited for like the cast and Andor series because that yes. feels like it'll be yes. something new. I, I still am worried because again, like with Kenobi and like with Boba Fett, it is um, they're buying off of the fact that a lot of people really love Rogue One. Uh, <laughs> and I feel that's all that Star Wars knows what to do right now is to play off of things that they believe people already like. Which is sad. I remember... Yeah, um kind of boring. Like, I, yeah. Again, this is why I love... Like, I know that you have varying opinions on The Last Jedi, but that's like the reason I love The Last Jedi. It's <laughs> because it felt new. It felt fresh. It felt different. It actually did interesting things with existing characters and ideas. And I would kill to have something like that in Star Wars again. Because it feels like we haven't had that since 2017. It's just sad. It's sad seeing Star Wars like just keep getting worse. It's just like like steadily. It just feels the same things. Like we'll talk more about when we do Book of Boba Fett, but it it just they're relying way too much on a part of the fan base that will never be happy with what they're getting. Yes. They're like catering to people like the fandom menace that want Star Wars to be like it was in the 80s but they don't really know what that means. And because of that, Star Wars is kind of pandering to an audience. That yeah, because be of, happy. I'm glad you brought up the 80s. Are we talking about Book of Boba Fett now? Yeah, let's talk about Book of Boba Fett. 
so the mods the mods i just have so I, many problems I, with I like, these guys i like the ideas for the mods i like I, how they look i like what they're meant to represent on tatooine right i like the idea of them conceptually that they throw them on the back burner for three episodes after they're initially introduced we get nothing from them at no, all nothing and then episode seven tries to make us actually care about them and i'm just looking at john favreau like no you had your chance to do this you had three episodes with them in existence to evolve their storyline and make us care about their characters conceptually but they just he does nothing with them nothing nothing at all he wants us to care about them we don't because he didn't make us care conceptually a like cyborg biker gang on tatooine i can get behind that that seems kind of cool it's original it's interesting cool okay cyborg biker gang on tatooine what else do we got they're all british Okay, that's. I mean, I can I can kind of forgive that because it's Star Wars. Yeah, it's, it's like a foreign I mean, sounding accent. Look, okay, I think I it's meant it. to be like a look at um more how because Star Wars is heavily amplified by American cultures, right? Yeah, um, that's. I mean, George Lucas heavily took from his first film, which was American Graffiti, when he came and made the style for Star Wars. So, because that was a period of time that he had a lot of love for. Um, you can even see this in the prequels, too, with how Coruscant looks and everything. So, well, it's, it's more that it's a meshing of things. I realize that that doesn't work out for everyone. I thought it initially was real. I, I liked most of it. The only thing I didn't like was really the car chase in episode three. The pro- well, my they just problems- didn't do anything with these characters, and that's my problem with it. Not really that, too. My problems continue with, they, they just look bad their costumes look like they just picked them off of either like a completely different movie set or like that one that one girl with the red arm i i didn't recognize her because of the red arm but uh that one girl with the red arm was just straight up wearing like a leather biker vest with like pins on it i don't know it felt my my thing with this it feels like something george would have liked it did that's that's exactly yeah and that's why i'm okay with it this feels like something from old Star Wars. This feels like something from like like some kind of 80s, 90s Saturday morning cartoon that just got like lost for 30 years and then somehow got turned into live action. Yeah, it's really it, weird. I don't know. I again like that's actually a good point because Star Wars has always been heavily inspired by the serials that George Lucas grew up watching. So I, I it's interesting to see that something probably that Robert Rodriguez himself took inspiration from, again, like he, he grew up in the 80s. So it makes perfect sense for him to pull something from that period of time and put it into Star Wars. I don't know. It's, I'm looking at it with like where the creators wanted to go with it. And initially, again, it looks neat. It's something new. I can see where it fits in with Star Wars because it's like, I've talked about this in previous episodes. It's like the style of course not finally coming to the outer rim. So that's yes. from there it works. And I also see why they went for that kind of style with these characters. My issue is that they don't do anything with them. They don't do anything. I don't know. I just thought I thought that we were kind of past this with Star Wars. I thought that we were kind of over the sort of like kitschy, cheesy, like goofy 
I just don't know. I couldn't, I could never get behind these biker guys. Anytime, anytime they're di- like the dialogue to their writing just seemed really strange. This last episode, there's yeah, a point I where they're the like right, beefing yeah, with the, the locals. The whole has been really not great. It's um, just, it's just, I don't know. I just, it, I just not couldn't just get the behind box. these guys. Um, like when it comes to the book, Boba Fett, I've talked about it in previous episodes and this episode feels like a kind of a culmination of all of that stuff. John Favreau really doesn't know how to write more than one type of story when it comes to Star Wars. No, no. Um, the book of Boba Fett, even without the Mandalorian episodes, even without episodes five and six, right? It still would have felt like a carbon copy of the Mandalorian's first two seasons, which both fall, well, all three of these seasons, all three of these seasons follow the same exact formula. We have the introduction of the character and their story, we then see them fleshed out through flashbacks of their past. And then we have a traumatic event that propels them into the story that we see in the present. And then we see them make allies. And then we see them collect those allies. And then we see them take down one larger force that they're outnumbered by in the end with a smaller amount of people. It's, it's Magnificent Seven, but Star Wars. But that yes. was me and Mandalorian. Three times now. One. And it was kind of... Oh, it was okay in season two because we had Bo-Katan and Boba and the way that they reflected off of Din's character was neat. And the stakes grew. Now that we grew. see again in Book of Boba Fett, it's super glaring because unlike the other two shows, we didn't even have enough time with any of these characters. Outside no. of Boba and Fennec and Din, we don't really care about anyone else. And the show is acting like we're supposed to. Like half of the action in this episode is focused on the mods and the most Pelgo townspeople. But we don't have a real attachment to any of them because we don't know what their personalities are like. I gotta say... know what they are like as characters. I gotta say, I kind of do not care for Fennec Shand. My, my thing with Fennec is I think that she's cool. I think Mingna went, like, visually. Uh, all the action stuff that they've done with her is really neat. I like the way that she plays off of Boba. But we needed more. Yeah, like, Na, I love Ming-Na Wen in this role. Yeah, Ming-Na but, Wen is fine. And, Props and to her. It's everything about the Boba Fett storyline suffers because of what they did with episodes five and six. Yes. I liked episodes five and six, self-contained, but they didn't belong there. But they don't feel like they should be in the book of Boba Fett. They no. feel like they should be in the Mandalorian or Ahsoka or in the Luke Skywalker show. They don't feel like they belong in a story about Boba Fett. No, and taking and i like spending time with grogu and din and i like their dynamic and i like where their story wraps up in this episode but they're probably the only dynamic i fully cared about it was probably that and um the one short conversation din and boba have about honor and And which which again the writing for that or yet different both of those characters are that's neat i would have liked way more of that i would have liked if that was episode six of this show See, it felt strange to me. It felt strange, disjointed. It was like, it was like in the prior episode, like maybe two days prior in Star Wars time, he was like, tell Boba it's on the house. I'll come help him out on the house. We're buddies. Then fast forward two episodes. He's like, I would die for you. I, I'm going to die for you. We're like right here, right now. Huh? That was well, just, it's a Mandalorian felt- thing. I, I think it fits with Den's character because of his coat of arms. That oh yeah, matter. that that line that Boba had, where he's like, "Do you really buy into all that bantha fodder?" Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, I do." 
Bubba's like, he like pauses for a moment. He goes, good, good. Very. Yeah. You, you can see how Boba views Din. He views him as honorable, and he's happy that he has this honor. It makes him more dependable than most of the people that Boba usually finds on the street. Can you hear oh. me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, I lost, I lost you for a second because I unplugged my headphones from my computer. So, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, I like, again, I was mentioning that um, Din and Boba having this sort of code of honor makes it and Din specifically having this Mandalorian creed that he follows makes it easier for Boba to depend on him, which is something that he doesn't usually have. Yeah, he Again, doesn't really have a lot I of would friends. I love if that idea was focused on more. I think that almost all of the issues that I have with this episode stem from the them taking focus away from the storyline for two episodes and then not making this finale a two-parter. Yes. I think that yes. if they had done one more episode focusing on the main storyline that the show introduced in its first four episodes before this finale, it would have been better. Instead, we have an hour-long episode that feels like it didn't need to be an hour long. No. Because half of the stuff in this episode is unnecessary. Mm, agree. Agree. And before, before I keep tearing into this, let's talk for a second. What did we like about this episode? I love uh, Pelly. I love Amy Sedaris' character. I love Amy Sedaris. She's great. <laughs> Every she time is... she was on screen, I had the biggest grin on my face. And I loved the way that she played off of the major domo. I've seen a lot oh, of people share them on Twitter. I, I like, that's what I said. What? I'm like, I'd be okay with it. Are they not together by now? Because she was like eyeballing him hard. Yeah. Because everyone's everyone's been saying that he's like the house husband and she's the girl boss. Oh my and lord. That's like, yes. That is Please so funny. Give me an Amy Sedaris show. I would watch it. I would totally watch. Here's the thing. She, it's more of Tatooine. Yeah. But she's like fascinating Tatooine. Like she's her. like I interesting. Like her character. I like how she is slowly assembling a larger army of droids every single time we see her. Oh, that's great. And they're always, they're always great droids too. She is a huge plus to Star Wars. Yeah. Her addition overall. Yeah. And I love the entire interaction with Din. I love Din's face when he realizes that, uh, that Pelly brought Grogu to in the, the rickshaw droid too. That was <laughs> yeah. she's always she's always hooking it up with the nostalgia. She's always got it on lockdown. Every episode she'll be like, "Hey, I got something for you. R five. I got something new for you. Naboo Starfighter. Got something. You thought that was it? Nope. Rickshaw droid. Yeah. Just endless surprises with her. She is great. Other things we liked about the episode, still um, keeping on I droids. Like, I like, yeah, I like seeing Boba riding the Rancor. That, that was, was cool. Fun. Yeah, these droids, cool. these droids, the, uh, the giant, the scorpion droids, I think is what they're called. They're like giant droidicas. They were like giant droidicas. I love indeed. it. Indeed. Oh, super cool. Very that was style design. Um, and it's great really seeing frightening. too. Like, Oh if, yeah! If these oh were, yeah! If I actually cared about our secondary cast, I actually might have been like, on the scared. edge of my feet during this. Uh, yeah. Sadly, I didn't really care if any of them. No. Passed, so no. <laughs> I was kind of rooting for the droid for a moment. Yeah, I mean they look cool. I mean I'd be rooting for the droids too. <laughs> it was cool. It was really cool to see too the uh, sort of like bubble shield effect 
done with modern graphics. It just looked and sounded amazing. Yeah, I love. I love yeah, I love the steps that Din and Boba had to take to, in order to defeat them. That was cool. Oh, that was, was great. a lot of really nice, nice visual like action style storytelling. Again, when the action focuses on Boba and Din, it's great. Yes, it's when yes. it focuses on anyone else. Well, may, Fennec's assassination on um, the Pikes was pretty cool, but whenever like we uh. have like the large scale action that's focused on like anyone other than Boba and Din or and. Maybe Kersantan's Kersantan's action set pieces were pretty cool in this episode too. He's also just cool to see. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of his uh his gun that only fires once every seven seconds. I mean, to be fair, it's pulled straight from the comics. So that's fair. It's fair, I guess. They're they're being true to the character as he was first introduced um by Karen Gillen. But even still though. You say Karen Gillen? No, Karen Gillen. K I E R O N. I think we had this argument last time. I was about to say Nebula made this. (laughs) I'm sure that well last time. Yeah, I I feel like I feel like I've done this before. (laughs) Jeez. Boba riding the Rancor, like you said. That was it looks good. I just wish that we had more time with the Rancor before this episode. God. Yeah, right. Isn't that my I feel like that's my complaint about everything. That's that's the only complaint about everything. With everything. It's because they took a break halfway through the story to focus on a completely yeah. separate story. And uh, and look, I like visually the showdown with Cad Bane, right? And like, I knew that he probably was going to die. I don't think he's could, dead. I, I, I mean, I don't think he's dead either. But like, if they're going to do that, if they're going to rely so heavily on these characters having a pre-existing relationship, why don't they show us it? We yeah. know that they're good at using de-aging CG. Why can't they just CG a young Daniel Logan or better, another actor? Exactly. And, and show us in a flashback. Or hell, just show a, a stand-in for Daniel Logan from the back. Show like show the showdown uh, that Cad and Boba were originally supposed to have in Clone Wars. In Clone Wars. Problem in Clone Wars. For 90% of the audience to the show are not nerds like us that know about that mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. There are, like, my mom and my stepdad and my dad don't know crap about this stuff. They're not going to care about this character dynamic. They're going to look at it and think, oh, it's, I guess that's kind of neat. I've had to explain like, Cad Bane to everybody except my dad because back when The Clone Wars was coming out, he and I used to watch it, and when the finale dropped, we watched it together. Yeah. So when Cad Bane showed up on the screen, he went, oh, that's that robot guy. Well, you're half right, Dad. I mean, I mean, technically, he is part robot because that's yeah. how he's still alive. You're half right, Pops. But I have had to explain Cad Bane to everybody. Why? Why have Why I had I to, to explain, explain Cad Bane to everybody? Why if can't we've... we just have a queer character? Why can't we just need another episode, right? We just, we need, just need one another more episode. episode with them fleshing out all of the stuff. It could Here's, have been a slow burn. There could have been no action in it whatsoever, and it would have been better. Just for Here's existing. something. Here's something. You don't even need, like, a full episode of Cad Bane backstory. It would be appreciated, but you we don't even need, need one it. Scene. One, one scene. One scene. One scene. It could, even, it could have no dialogue. Here. It could have no score. It could just oh, have, like, God. a Like, even just, like, Boba blinking and, like, grimacing, and it, like, cuts to Cad, like, standing over him, like, disapproving father way. Like, 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 we're probably going to talk about later, Peacemaker. Uh... It's it show not tell, and you learn everything with yeah. just a single like Ken Burns frame. 
Yeah, you can it, tell it everything. Like told everything, right? It yeah. feels like everything important about the show we've been told, like about the main plot. It's one of the reasons why I like the flashbacks so much, because most of the storytelling in the flashbacks, and credit the director, Steph Green, for this, because, God, I give her a give her a movie. I yeah. love her direction for episode two. But it seemed like all the best storytelling was in the flashbacks in episode two, because all of it was visual. There was so much... There was such little dialogue in that episode, and it was so much better for it. It was so much better for it. I want the show I thought I was going to get after that episode. I want the show I thought I was going to get, period. I just, I just think at some point during, during production of the Book of Boba Fett, not even production, during writing of the script, something went wrong. Not something major, but like a little, a little hiccup went down. Somebody who was writing the script misunderstood like one micrometer of the concept, but it just didn't go noticed and then kept building and building and building until we eventually got all of the Book of Boba. Yeah, no, and you're right. I, I, my worst gripe, John my worst Favre, one of all. Yeah, John Fat. sorry, go ahead. My worst gripe of all, and this is the final gripe of the entire series, it was for completely nothing. Boba is walking the streets after winning his big gunfight, stabbing Cad Bane in the chest, beating all the pikes. The mayor, my favorite character, the hammerhead alien, got murdered. Very sad. Yeah. Uh, and he's walking the streets and he goes, I'm not cut out for this. I'm going to leave. What? Huh? What was the point of the show if the whole point is that the guy quits at the end? What was the point? What was the point? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. This was this was a complete waste of seven episodes. Yeah, all of the characters, there's no, we don't have any queer line of character development for Boba in the present. All of the good, like, meaningful development with him happened in the flashbacks. And I don't even know where his character is going, period. It's like what? Like, I can't read him. I, it's like Boba said. I you're like I love the initial said. idea when he's introduced back in the, the Mandalorian. Right? Yes, but yes. Like I was rewatching grizzled and this grizzled older guy that came out of the belly of the beast, the changed man. It's such an interesting idea. Yes. And for the first two episodes of this show, it felt like they were actually going to do something with that. The flashback scenes felt meaningful. They felt important and then episode three which i talked about this on the podcast and it's still it's the moment that i kind of put myself on the back border and stopped caring about what the show was doing with boba the moment they killed the tuscans just to give him a small Literally. emotional motivation i was like okay you've lost and he didn't even care about it's it so he didn't even lazy. care about it even when cad bane teased it, him it, about it he was just like whatever about, it's that the writers didn't put importance on it they're using it as this small emotional moment to make boba want to fight cad bane which makes no sense because no cad sense. bane had nothing to do with it it's the pikes that did but we don't see boba go and kill the pikes we see fennec do it which is still neat it's still cool. But why did Fennec go and do but it? But why is it Fennec and not Boba? Because it's more of a character moment for Boba if he's the one that does it. Right? It's just, I don't understand. I feel like Jon Favreau doesn't really understand what he wants to do with this character. He had an idea and just didn't know where to take it, right? No. And I think that that is, I've said in, in basically almost every episode since episode three, that 
he is he is introducing ideas that he has no idea what to do with. Yes. It's the reason why last week with episode six, I was actually really happy with Dave Filoni coming in the right because I could tell there was someone else writing the show. Literally. It felt like there was so much more care being put into everything. There was there's like a night and day difference between the way that Peyton Reed directed the Luke scene in the finale of Mandalorian season two and the way Dave Filoni directs Luke in the book of Boba Fett. It's sad. It's, it's sad. It's why I, I, I am excited for Ahsoka. I am excited for what he yes. does next, but I'm, I'm kind of tired of, of John Favreau and Star Wars. And that sucks because I remember going into Mandalorian season one and being incredibly happy that someone new was incredibly writing Star happy. Wars. It's and like you it's said, just, we just have gotten the same thing too much. It's like you said earlier, where Boba was introduced in season two of The Mandalorian. I was actually re-watching that the other day because I, I wanted to get a good taste of Boba back in my mouth. He he was Boba there. He was he was like he was like a little sleazy, he was a little snarky, he was yeah. like mean he was and then book of boba comes out and he's like i would like to rule with respect i actually that come from i feel like that still lines up with his character though because as he's introduced in the mandalorian i mean he has a queer code of honor because he's willing to help din far more than he probably should right Mm. so he obviously has this code of honor and it's hinted at at the time that that comes from Django. And then we see that visualized in flashbacks in episodes one and two. And then it goes nowhere after that. We don't ever see Django come up again visually. Ever, in, ever. In the writing for the book Boba Fett. It feels like an idea that Steph Green thought would be really neat that John Favreau had no idea what to do with. It just, I don't know. I miss this Bo- I miss the Boba from season two that was like butting heads with everybody. Yeah. And, and, and like- again, you had that in the first like two episodes and then it's gone. i would and then they just don't do anything with the, that stuff they don't know they just don't my, do anything with it my final points on boba was it really necessary to have two episodes focusing on the mandalorian and grogu just because grogu was the only one who could t- put the rancor to sleep was that really necessary? Or I feel like it could have been I feel like it's a, any it's a number Disney of Lucas things. Film thing. I think that's a Disney Lucas film thing. I think that when Book of Boba Fett was in production, because you have to remember that its production got postponed because of COVID initially, just like mm-hmm. Mandalorian season three. Mm-hmm. So I think it's po- it's highly possible that Disney saw the numbers that the Mandalorian was doing and they didn't have faith in the Book of Boba Fett. So they interject, they forced Favreau to write in two episodes of The Mandalorian. But was it really... Was it really necessary... I feel like that could absolutely happen. To take the story away from Boba just because it turns out that Grogu could do... Like, randomly could do this. It's not random as much as they just... I think it's not so much anyone excuse to sit down the Rancor. I'm sure that there were other ways they could have written it. I think it's more so Disney wanted them to bring back Din and Grogu, and they wanted to ensure that they would be a core part of Mando season three. Whack. And they want a surefire bet because, yeah, the ratings did go up 
when the Mandalorian appeared in episode five. And they went up even more with episode six with the tease that Grogu would appear in the episode. Yes. So Disney got what they wanted. But at what, at the cost of the story that we thought we were going to get. Again, I still don't know if having an extra episode or them spending more time focusing on the main storyline would have fixed my problems with the show. Because the the problems with the Book of Boba Fett started rearing their head around episode three. Yes. And they and episodes five and six, I actually I appreciate them because they made me forget about how much pain I felt after watching episode three because of what they did in the flashbacks. I said when we covered the episode that I I liked everything in the present, and I still agree with that. I still think all the stuff in the present that episode's fine. But it, the killing off of the Tuscans left a really bad taste in my mouth that just never really went away. We just had two episodes of The Mandalorian to help me forget about it until the finale. Literally. And it, I think it was on the What the Force Discord um, that Marie Claire was bring, bringing up. What, what about the, the female Tuscan warrior? What about all these characters that we, that we actually did develop an attachment for that were new to this show? Like the Tuscans I developed an attachment for, and, and I it felt Tuscan like Raiders. they were going to bring them back, right? Because in episode three, we don't see the body of the female warrior. We don't see the body of the child. There, there could have been an easy way to bring them back into the story. And those characters I actually care about, so I wouldn't have minded them getting focused on in the finale. But... No, right? It, it was just, it feels it was just like the they people of most about the things that we actually cared about. And, and instead replaced it with the things that would distract us from the fact that they forgot about the things we cared about. I don't know, man. It was just sad. It's left a bad so taste in my mouth for Star Wars. And it's, well, yeah, this is, I think how you feel right now is how I felt after the rise of Skywalker. That may be. Because when I, I walked out of rise of Skywalker, I was going through, I was depressed at the time that Frost came out, right? During yeah. like the four months leading up to that, I was going through probably the worst depression I've had in my life. So, and I looked at Star Wars as like the thing from my childhood, the thing that would help me forget about the woes ha- uh, hurting me in the present. And all it did was remind me of how depressed I was. was I cried. I, I cried the night after I saw Trox. So like it was that... like 11 p.m. at night and I was bawling my eyes out because I couldn't believe that Star Wars made me feel that way sucks i and, wanted to cry after yeah. book of boba fett it was just so bad I, so i totally get what you're feeling but I think the only reason i don't feel that way is because i'm kind of numb myself to being disappointed by star wars that yeah no i i i i've given up now between spider-man and now book of boba fett i'm just losing faith in disney and the uh hype yeah. machine that they and, have. I, and i like no way home but it definitely has its flaws you know? That being said, though, there is one thing that has saved me from being getting too destroyed by how bad Book of Boba Fett was. Yeah, that's because we had Peacemaker. It's because we had Peacemaker, it. baby. Thank God. Thank, thank you, thank God. you, James Gunn, for writing a sincere story with real characters and and an amazing fun. story. Like, oh my God, why like, Peacemaker might be the best thing that he's ever made. Yes, like I love the Suicide Squad. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. Like, and this isn't hyperbole. Peacemaker is better than the Suicide Squad. Yes, it is phenomenal. Um, they've taken this character that we all hated 
after the Suicide Squad, right? Yes. This jerk of a character, this absolutely no good rotten human being, seemingly, for killing our boy Rick Flagg, um, and made us like him and feel sorry for him and want to see him have a better life after the events of the show. That is awesome. And if there's that anything this so show has done, do. if there's anything this show has done more, it's make you like him and pity him even more. You kind of feel bad for him for killing Rick Flag. Yeah. It's, like, damn, it's I don't good. think you want to Like, do you that. can understand where the characters are coming from, and uh, everything about this show has been great. And, it's just so amazing. And, it, and the secondary cast is phenomenal, too. Like, you have, uh, I'm going to quickly run through everyone's arc here. You have Vigilante. Who is slowly learning to be a more stronger character and be more passionate about not just the job and just killing people, but the best actually caring about on the show. people and learning how to use that attachment for good. And Vigilante's kind of kind of going from he has more of like the arc that we thought Peacemaker might have had before the show, where Vigilante's yes. arc is like becoming an actual hero, like feeling like he's a real superhero rather than just um, an asshole murderer like Peacemaker is. And yes. that's awesome. I love that. You have John, who is the, the big guy that seems like this D that has like no energy or heart in anything. He just wants to do his job and that's it. And he goes from being this completely closed off guy that is not willing to he do anything to being probably the coolest character in the show. <laughs> because Literally. he has so much personality thrown into him just by being around Peacemaker and Vigilante so much. He plays off of those two so good. I'm going I'm to take uh, Adebayo now. Uh, her arc is she is the daughter of Amanda Waller, who is uh, going through a sort of turmoil. She doesn't want to do this, but she's kind of good at it, uh, according to Harcourt in this most recent episode. And she's just going through a whole lot of turmoil. She goes, am I a killer? Am I a... Am I a, a black ops government worker? I don't know if I can be. I don't know if I have the stomach for this. Very yeah. interesting. She was actually Poussey from Orange is the New Black. Right. And I never, I never watched Orange is the New Black. I watched but the first season. It wasn't for me. The people who I have shown Peacemaker to who have previously watched Orange is the New Black go, yeah, she's, she's doing the same thing, but it works. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have Harcourt, who's... <laughs> who's again this like closed off badass of a character right yeah she's um, great who doesn't want any emotional attachments and then she grows this bond with peacemaker and character does um kind of harp on the fact that she only grows bonds with other warriors but at the same like other soldiers but at the same time that still makes us feel like she has some ounce of humanity in her that she's able to grow this bond with peacemaker like in the previous episodes you see her um carving the eagle onto um the gun for peacemaker because he said that'll help help him shoot like and he goes backwards oh i love that the last of them is mern last of our main cast is mern uh, the leader what, what's poor what's poor one out for more let's pour one out oh for mern God. hey you're getting ahead I was of yourself so sad here when he died you're getting ahead of yourself here he was the, the boss yeah, he, he was, was the, boss. the boss uh and was also recently revealed in the last episode i believe to be a butterfly uh, to be a yeah. butterfly which is so How? interesting it gets, yes it's because throughout the show and a lot of people speculate that the butterflies weren't going to be all evil and i love the fact that they like hint that they're not going to be but no and then they turn out and then they're to totally be, like, evil. Straight up evil <laughs> but Mern is like the exception to that he's he's 
realizing it's that maybe what they're doing isn't completely right and that working for amanda waller might not be the best thing to do right and that maybe they need to step away from the larger organization and do what is good rather than what is necessary and i feel like mern is that kind of larger like symbolic example of that where he was that for the butterflies he realized how terrible their practices were you can see the pain and Mern's face when he talks about the fact that he had to kill a man in order to stop what the butterflies are doing. Like, you mm-hmm. can see how terrible he felt that he had to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's just uh, so powerful. So, I'm so glad this actor is going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, man. Yeah, I am so really happy. excited. If anything, this has made me a little more hyped to see where James Gunn goes in the future with like other writing because he's he's really flexing his muscles with peacemaker like all the all the humor of peacemaker all the goofy parts all the silly things are stark contrasted by the occasional really deep like thought process we'll see peacemaker having or or the contemplation he'll have or the memories he'll go through yes all of his flashbacks are sad i don't know a single one of his flashbacks where he doesn't cry yeah this is not, I mean, like, there is a lot of cool stuff that happens in the show, but this isn't like, we just finished talking about Boba. Boba was very much just a rule of cool show. For yes. The most part. yes. This is not that. This knows that it can be more than that. And I appreciate that James Gunn understands that you can do a lot of cool stuff. Like, I love all the, all the fun character dynamic stuff that we get with Vigilante, Peacemaker, and John. I love, oh, I love all the Vigilante. stuff we get with Hardcore. I love the visuals of the action. I love how silly the butterflies are. I love how how stupid silly the KKK is. The are they the KKK? They basically are. They basically are. They basically are. Like, I mean, I know that they're supposed to be, I think they're called the White Dragons. Yeah, they're, after his they dad. They basically are the KKK. They basically are but, the clan. And the White I've Dragon been calling was always them the meant clan. to be a white supremacist symbol in the comic. Like, he was always meant to be like this. Oh, yeah. This very white supremacist that we have Superman or whoever beat the crap out of because you know we hate we hate them <laughs> that just is what it is right and i appreciate the, sh- the show for doing like if you're going to introduce these hateful characters like again like the nazis appearing in any media you gotta make fun of them and make them feel like they're stupid and incompetent yes yes it's the only way that you can it- it's too real to make them these dramatic characters and with robert patrick's character playing um chris's dad you still get those those moments of drama with him but it's never undercut by how terrible of a person he was no no all his dramatic moments i think i think the uh subject matter of the villains being you know the clan super racist and evil has been handled very tastefully at no point have they ever been portrayed as having like a cool moment or uh as being you know anything other than just freaky weirdos in like like you have moments like yeah, like when Vigilante goes into the prison and beats that the was crap great. out of all That was of them. great. You expect um, Vigilante, because of all the moments that we've gone from him before that moment, to be silly and blending, blundering his way through it and be too anxious or panic in the moment and not and, and fail and get killed, right? That's what no, I great. think any other writer would have done. But no, instead we get this really awesome moment of him beating the crap out of all of them. And you have Robert Patrick's character looking at him like, no, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, I'm not it stupid. Would get, it would put myself in a, sh- in a terrible position. <laughs> like he knows that even 
Even though if he knows how to fight, there is the chance that Vigilante would win in a fight against him, and he doesn't want that. Oh, Vigilante would beat his butt. Yeah, and then you have moments like in this episode where Vigilante is making fun of how his suit is composed, and he has all this wiring just out and about. You have all, like, taking apart There's gaps in the armor. I love that. That was a great, that was a great callback. I... I am loving Vigilante. He's probably my favorite character. Yeah, he's on the easily show. my favorite character. He's, so he's just fun. so weird. He's yeah, and so Freddy weird. Roma is just fantastic as him. So let's talk this new episode because a lot happened. So you've already told us Mern does in fact pass away. Yeah, he dies. It's Very sad. sad. It's Very really sad. sad. Like, yeah, uh, right. The moment where where Hardcore is like holding his hand. Oh my heart. Oh God, why do I feel so much about the CGI butterfly alien? <laughs> James Gunn, what are you doing? <laughs> James Gunn is killing it. He, he made me really care about all care these about guys. Non-human characters. I mean, like first Eagly and Groot and Guardians, and now Eagly and Murray oh, and Eagly and Peacemaker. Oh my God! When 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 Robert when Augie when the White Dragon punches Eagly, my I heart screamed. Like, it felt like my heart stopped for a second. I was so I scared. Was so much pain. Eagly, no. <laughs> I was God so didn't die. I was so worried. He got fixed by them vets. Yeah, so they I would so... not put apart James Gunn for killing Eagly. I would I not forgive him for that. Have, that would be ridiculous. Would have, I I would have believed him doing it. That would have been ridiculous. I'm so he glad he did Bruce. not. So he's, he's obviously not afraid to kill characters we fall in love with. So, other things that happened this episode, Peacemaker's dad is dead. Yeah, thank God. And I especially love that it was Peacemaker that did it. That's such it was a Peacemaker who did it. For him. He it deserved it. It wasn't Vigilante. It wasn't John that mm-hmm. did it for him. It was he. He, he finally, it's, he still has a lot of trauma to get over, but it's him finally taking a step in the right direction. Yes. For certain. he's He's got a lot of growing still to do. Too, and he just he just made the first good step, I think, in killing his dad. That was a really good moment of catharsis for him, because you see in that moment he sort of grapples with his dad further about what, like prior when they're fighting, right? Mm-hmm. He goes, he goes, no, 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 you killed my brother. Yeah, because his dad's the one that put them in the situation that led to his brother. Yeah, killed. we finally okay. It's so we finally fault. speaking of flashbacks, we finally got to see one this episode. Uh, we finally know how Peacemaker's brother died, at least the full story. Yeah. And it's super sad. It's super sad. Yeah, they're just chilling. They're, like, they have this very nice relationship. We get this one really nice scene that very clearly right? shows what their dynamic was as kids. And we see them forced into a fight where they're just acting all chill. Like, this is going to be for fun. We're just like, this is, they do this a lot, I guess. Put out our emotions. Like, we might have some bad blood, and this is how we're going to get it out. And it's going to be okay afterwards, right? They've very clearly done this before. But they've both been trained to be killers by their dad. So when Peacemaker punches his brother, he hits him hard enough in the nose that that the bone goes straight into his brother's brain and kills him. It was sad. It was really sad. Yeah. And you can see uh, the child acting in the scene is really good. You really good. On their, on their faces. That's something really hard to do. I'm glad that James Gunn was able to, able to direct them really well here. Was all the, all the actors Gunn, in the show actually? are doing really let good. Me, let me look that real quick. I know he did the previous episode. I don't remember if he did this one. 
Other things that happened this episode. So in the last episode, it's revealed that uh, the butterflies took over the police precinct of wherever they are. And now uh, the sheriff, whose name eludes me, uh, has snitched on the diary about Peacemaker that Adebayo planted. Yeah. Adebayo's in some hot water with Peacemaker right now. He told her he told her he doesn't want to see her again. Yeah, that's a perfectly understandable um, you know, feeling because she, she yeah. in a way betrayed them. Oh yeah. Doing she and he also knows what Amanda Waller is like. So he probably feels like she's no different than Amanda Waller or anyone else that he's come to know working in the, the line of work that he does. And he the last thought that she would be different, but she ended up just being like everyone else. Just like everyone else. It's sad. It's really, it's really sad, but it's really good. Like good on John Cena, like modern, modern jack of all trades for being able to do like everything in this show. Mm-hmm. Despite having the peacemaker, like James Gunn, John Cena, like cheese with all of his dialogue, all of his delivery, all of his lines. He still will turn it will turn it around, and in the next scene, like move you. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. really surprising. I hope he gets more dramatic work after this. Yeah, this is easily the best role he's had. I think oh, it's yes, easily because yes. um, the character that he that James Gunn has written for him, and the way that the directors have handled the direction for John in all these episodes has been great. I think it's more just that he got a team that knew what to do with him. Seems like it. This is just such a this is just such a great show. Yeah. This is between this and Batman, DC is winning hard. Yes, absolutely. Right um, and this isn't the like almost all of the HBO Max DC shows have been really good. Yes. Um like Harley Quinn was, was really fantastic. Funny. Um Stargirl, which initially started out as a streaming exclusive show, has been fantastic. And to mix, I mean it's not really DC streaming, but Superman and Lois has been really good too. Has it? Yeah. I haven't heard anything from it. All all I have seen especially really, really good. All I have seen about uh, Superman and Lois is that he recently debuted the Max Fleischer Fleischer suit from Mm -hmm. the 40s, which I thought was really neat because I'm a big fan of the Fleischer cartoons. Yes. um, For the flashbacks, they use the classic Superman suit. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So, like, um, for any of the scenes that show when he first came to Metropolis, that's the suit he's wearing. Neat. It appears that, like, it's slowly evolved over time, right? Neat. So, they, they time and, it's, it's a really good show. I highly recommend check If you like Peacemaker and like um, DC doing interesting stuff with their, with their characters and actually doing really, really neat character work and stuff, you'll probably also like Superman and Lois because there's a lot of really good character work done there. And like Peacemaker, they also know how to use their budget well. It doesn't, huh. it's not like the Flash where you have those terrible, oh lord, very running that are like very cruelly terrible. Um, all of the CG in Superman and Lois is like in Peacemaker where it's used sparingly and only out of necessity and always in accompaniment with um practical effects. Yeah, like this, as off. the CG in Peacemaker really isn't that bad. Like yeah. Eagly looks fantastic. Yeah, it's because it's used sparingly. So like every time they use it, it looks really good. Um, and they also shoot the CG from angles or have it uh, or have the camera far away enough from it that it doesn't look too off. Or sometimes it looking off is purposeful. Right. Like with the the cow at the end of this episode. Yeah, what is that? 
what is that thing it's like a big okay i actually have a theory it's it looks like a big like caterpillar thing and they're all butterflies yes so that makes sense that checks out yep i'm more excited to see i'm just excited to is this next episode going to be the finale it is um the next episode will be directed by james gunn um, this episode was done by Brad Anderson, by the way, not James Gunn. Brad he's Anderson. It. Uh, he's done a few things. I don't think I've seen any of the, the films he's done. He directed some stuff for The Wire. Um, and before doing Peacemaker, he directed the first, I believe, the first episode of Titans and the Hawk and Dove episode of Titans. Hmm. Um, so he's done some stuff with DC before. Um but I'm sure that people will be more excited about the fact that he did episodes of The Wire um, and Fringe, et cetera. So he's had a long history of television. I imagine that that's the case with most of the directors that worked on this show. But his direction was good. Yeah, like, I really be sad it. to see uh, Peacemaker go. Yeah, this show has been really good. It's been um, really good. Peacemaker has been doing uh, what I mentioned before with sort of like casual, nonchalant world building. Like the other day, the other episode, um, Autobio's wife, she, she just goes, let's move back to Gotham. And I went, ah, Gotham. Or, uh, or, talking or about anytime, Batman. Or anytime they talk Woman. about Batman. Or, no, when, the best or one, joking about the Flash. The best one was when Economos goes, I'd rather work with Batmite than you. Oh my God. That, that was so And I funny. also appreciate them taking a moment to explain who Batmite is because a yeah, lot of right? have no idea who that character Star is. Wars, take notes. Star Wars, take notes. You're just yeah. going to throw Cad Bane on there, no explanation. Yeah. I'm like, I watched Batman the Brave and the Bold. I know who Batman I know, is. I know who Batman is. How could I ever forget? Oh, my God. That's like or, the, be- that, the best episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold is when it's going to get canceled and Batmite is trying to stop it from getting canceled. So he goes to the, like, Batman convention. That was so uh, funny. That is, that is one of the most meta things I've ever seen. I love Batman the Brave and the Bold. Or like, or like in another episode when Peacemaker just like casually mentions like, yeah, I worked with Matter Eater Lad. They're just pulling a bunch of random junk out of, out of DC just for like gits and shiggles and it's yeah. totally worth it. Matter Eater Lad is a hero from the like 30th century, right? Yeah. He's from like the distant future. There's yeah, no way the Legion of around. Superheroes, which is currently appearing in Young Justice. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Wow. Wow! Yeah, they're, I didn't they're know like Young the, was still they're going. They're like the D plot of Young Justice um, currently. Yeah, Young huh. Justice is, is it's currently on break, but yeah, the fourth season just fin- had its mid season finale in December. Wow. Good for Young Justice. It's good. Like uh, the current season, it, I mean, it has its issues, but I think it's still pretty solid. It's significantly better than the last se- than the third season was. Mm. But yeah, I mean, like you, were, like we talked about it coming back when we were still in high school, right? I only ever watched for a third season. We did. I only ever watched the first season. Admittedly, you need admittedly. to watch more. Uh, season, I will because I like its issue. Like seasons two and three have their issues, but I think they're still pretty solid. Season four is the best season since season one, definitely. <sighs> Highly oh, recommend. Lord. I mean, you have HBO Max right now. Yeah, I do. So yeah, you I might do. as well <laughs> watch Young Justice. <laughs> I am Fantastic. just I am just loving to death Peacemaker. Like like we said, it, it really washes the taste out of my mouth it's after just, Boba it's Fett. Nice. 
Like and there every, is all no the bad characters time to rock have like full arts. They're like fully developed. They feel like Ugh. real people. I actually care about what's happening with them. I, I, there are moments that made me cheer for every member of this main cast, and that is awesome. It's been a while since I've seen a live action show give me that feeling. Right. Because I don't know about you, but I watch like mostly anime, and it feels like only anime ever gives me that feeling anymore. It- well, I'm only wa- I'm pretty much only watching uh, stuff like that now. Like I got um, I just spent the last two months with my partner. Uh, we we watched all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, like awesome. all of it, and they just loved it so much. They were like, "What else you got that's like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure?" I'm like, "Well, nothing." The easy oh, answer is nothing. I have lots of things that they're like JoJo's if they need recommendations. Oh. Send them my way. Durarara uh, Rob would probably be the best one. I think I think they've already seen Durarara. Okay, no, that would explain why they like JoJo's then. <laughs> Dora Doro, not Durarara. And I remember yeah, while we were watching, is really good. It's urban. It's really wacky urban fantasy like JoJo's. You've um, seen uh, uh, Dora Hidoro, right? Yeah. While we were watching uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, my partner goes, "That's Kaiman, right?" And I'm like, Okuyasu? Yeah, that's Kaiman. And they go, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. This is so funny. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I yeah, Okuyasu's Seiyu has a very unique voice. Oh yeah. I'm oh, I'm yeah. actually impressed that even the English dub was able to find someone that was close to it. Right? That's, that's such a hard voice to capture. Um, I was saying and God, I and I just not to get too off topic, but I watched um, the the dub for Comey Can't Communicate just went on Netflix this past mm-hmm. week, right? And you you know me. I'm usually like a proponent for English dubs. I'm usually like, they get way too much um, harp on them. Everyone's like way too much of a hater. They're not nearly as bad as everyone, everyone says they are. And for the most part, especially within the last two or three years, they've been really, really good. Uh, so... Comey Can't Communicates is not good. <laughs> and a lot of that is not being able to match the energy that the original saves have. And it's also that Netflix really did not know how to adapt the show for an English audience. They That's didn't fair. put in the time and effort in order to translate stuff that makes it make sense. Because it's a show that's very heavily built on written words because you have like a whole scene in the first episode. Because the whole premise is that the main character can't talk in social situations at all. Like she doesn't know how to, she can't communicate um, with anyone despite wanting to, right? And the first episode has this whole scene where the male lead uh, talks with her by writing on the whiteboard. Because that's the only way that she'll be able to talk. And in the dub... The, the, in the Japanese, it's completely silent, but in the dub, they narrate. They have taught, they have the male lead narrate everything that's getting written on the whiteboard instead of it just being silent and us reading the subtitles that are on screen. Lord. And I, I, I wanted, I love the show so much, and I want the English dub to be good because it'll get more people to watch it. But, and it's especially wild considering how good like Blue Period's dub was, which came out literally a week before. But, and it's done by the same studio. I think it's even the same um, casting director and ADR director. I don't understand why Blue Periods is so good and Comey's isn't. 
Okay, closing thoughts. Book of Boba was was kind of kind of a letdown. I mean, we talked about it. We talked about it a bit. Uh, Mixed reviews overall. It's like a seven out of ten as a whole. It's fine. I'm giving it. I'm giving it a five. It had enough to be a show, but it wasn't a very good one. At least nothing. Nothing like The Mandalorian, where I can see myself like re-watching it and thinking about oh yeah that was a that was a really cool part like mm. i'm gonna add that to like a playlist that was really awesome overall it was just it was just there it was just it certainly was a show it was fine it's it's not the worst thing i've ever seen it's i no. don't say it's bad but it's not good it didn't no. give me any of the the things i want out of a story like that and it's a night and day when you compare it to Peacemaker. Night I cannot day. wait to review this show when the final episode comes out next week. Because, um, yeah, my, my review for Book of Fett will be out by the time this podcast goes live. So, and it, it pretty much is just a summary of what we've talked about today. It just it just disappoints me, you know. I had such high expectations because you know it's Boba Fett. Yeah, I was I was excited. I was interested in this version of Boba because it seemed like a, a new take on the character. It seemed more way more interesting than most of the normal stuff we've gone with Boba. And I've even and even in the early episodes of the show, I defended um, what they were doing with the character against um, people like the fan the menace that didn't like that. It's not just a cool guy killing people because that I'm pretty sure that's all that they would have wanted. And they would have been satisfied just from that. I liked that. It initially seemed like they were going to do more. I just don't like that. They teased us. They were going to do more and then didn't. And then didn't. That's, that's my problem. I would have much rather that just be like this cool, nice, just like fun show of this bounty hunter killing people and being ruthless and cool. Because but it could have also been... I wouldn't have gotten as attached to the story and I would have just been able to sit there and enjoy it for what it was. But they teased me with it being more than that. Of a story and then it wasn't. And, it just and wasn't. then they didn't fall through on anything. And I feel like Star Wars is doing that way too often now. Way too Because even Mando's even Mandalorian's second season suffered from that. It just wasn't as obvious as it was with Book of Boba. Eh. I like Mando. I'm excited. I do, I do like Mando, but you know. Yeah, this hasn't killed any excitement that I have for Mando 3, but it has killed any excitement I have for Boba Fett. Yeah. Jeez. Well, Jeez. maybe I, I, I honestly I think they just needed someone that wasn't John Favreau. <laughs> I'm apprehensive for Kenobi now. I think I, again, Kenobi has a new creative team, so I'm excited for that. I'm worried about Mando season three because it's still John Favreau writing. Yeah, it's gonna be another. Like I'll probably, I probably will still enjoy it more than Book of Boba because I like Finn's character more and I like what they are doing with the Mandalorian. Seemingly, uh, again, their track record on following through on ideas they introduce is pretty low. So I have pretty no low. idea if I'm actually going to like what they do with the Mandalorians in season three. We'll it's gonna be another. Two. It's gonna be another. Um, Magnificent Seven, bro. It's yeah. gonna be him collecting a posse for the dark saber. Yeah, 
the good news is at this point i am no longer attached to star wars and yeah. if it wants to bury it if it wants to dig its own grave i no longer care yeah at they this have point, done a good job of making me not care anymore <laughs> yeah at this point i kind of give up it's just there's so many other things i could be putting my time and energy into that aren't star wars that will actually respect me as a watcher yeah and we'll have like, like a payoff like Peacemaker, I'm watching a uh, uh, Taiwanese drama, um, uh, or not Taiwanese, I'm watching a Thai drama called F4 um, right now, which is just fantastic. It's, uh, it's, a ro- it's one of those like, hey, there's the lover's romance stories, Ooh. and there's all this symbolism in the characters' outfits, and the rooms that they stay in, and the character relationships, and the dynamics, and it, oh, it's so rich, and I've only seen a single episode of it, and I already am hooked. So I would much rather be watching stuff like that or Peacemaker or JoJo's or anything else. Agreed. That makes me give that gives me the tingles whenever I see that the story is trying to be more than just surface level cool for coolness sake. Agree. It's sad. Boba Fett being a rule of cool. Usually. I mean that's what he was in the original movie, so I mean I, I but I just I, but I thought we were getting more. He also had three lines. I thought we were getting more. I thought we'd be getting something, anything. Like I I expected after what they did with the Mandalorian, I thought they were just gonna give him like an actual character, and then uh and uh, then an epi- nope. and then we have two episodes of him just being the character from the original trilogy. Yeah, no lines, just showing showing in the background being cool. So. I mean, Sad. Peacemaker though is killing it. Peacemaker yeah, Peacemaker is amazing. Please, has not disappointed if, me. Yeah, if anyone else feels the way that we do about Book of Boba Fett, please watch Peacemaker. It's awesome. Yeah, watch Peacemaker. You'll change your mind. You'll 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 feel better. Yeah, Trust that'll me. of course do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Sam, where can people find you if they want to hear your your mixed opinions on entertainment? <laughs> so, if you want to see more of my mixed opinions reviews, you can find me on Instagram, do me twenty two d zero zero m i e two two. That's pretty much the only place where I post like anything. Uh, and that that's about it. John, thank you for having me so much, man. I no, love coming been, on here to talk yeah, talk about awesome. stuff, talk about stuff. Yeah. Um. Of course, for me again, I, as I mentioned, my book of Boba Fett review will be out by the time this podcast goes live. So, I mean. If you want to hear more about how I thought, I don't know. I don't know why you would, but you can read the review. <laughs> it's pretty much all the things I just said. Um, but I also am writing a review for uh, "Banished from the Heroes Party." I decided to live a quiet life on the countryside. Yes, that is the title of the anime and also the synopsis. Damn, <laughs> it's 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 a solid, nice slice of life show about uh, about uh, the brother of the hero. Um, of like, like this large fantasy hero who gets banished from the party by one of um, the companions that is kind of a little selfish and self-absorbed, um, thinking that it will be better for their leader if her brother gets banished from the party, right? So he goes off and just runs an apothecary and just like chills and, and has like this nice romance <sighs> life. And initially that's like basically what the show was about. And then like Peacemaker... It's, it has an idea that seems really simple on the surface and then does a lot of, lot of really neat stuff with it because the bigger storyline that it's tackling is the effect that being raised 
and treated as this larger than life hero for your entire life will negatively impact you and cause you to be emotionally stunted and distant from other people. This is true. This it's is true. fantastic. Um, highly recommend if you just want like a nice chill show that will also make you feel good that you chose to watch it. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. And well, thank you for la- having me. Yeah. And lastly, you mentioned JoJo's. Yes. Um, I am currently planning a rewrite of Panacotta Fugo's character from Golden Wind. Oh, good Lord. He needs because, because for the last two years, ever since I watched Golden Wind for the first time, and for anyone that has read my Iraqi article about Iraqi's writing, you know that Purple Haze is one of my favorite stands in all of JoJo's. And I have, I understand why Iraqi wrote out Fugo's character. Uh, I totally get it. But like also, there's other things he could have done instead. And that is what that article will be. It basically will, it's basically an article about me giving Fugo a redemption arc by bringing him back into the story as a villain. And then, be, and then having him be the only antagonist that um, the main characters face that they don't kill. And how important that would be to everyone's character. Especially Jorno. Who, God forbid, could have used more character development and story Lord. in Golden Wind. <laughs> so I'm going to try the fixing. I'm going to try my best to, to figure out a way to fix multiple characters in Golden Wind through adding just one arc to it but we'll see how that goes i'm excited to finally tackle it i've been wanting to for over a year and i think i have my ideas finally concrete enough that i can write about it Uh, so thank you for having me yeah no it's been awesome having you on sam so and again like that's that'll be it for the podcast so thank you all for watching have a great rest of your day